This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Save time and money no matter what you ship or mail. Try it free for 30 days and get a free 10-pound scale when you visit pb.com slash twist. And LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week in startups. I am super excited about today's guest because he failed miserably at his first social networking startup and then today has built a startup that you all know, love, and use in all likelihood unless you're a laggard. Uh, and that means somebody who adopts technology way after the fact, the last person on the bus, basically. Uh, so uh, you know the company, OfferUp. They do billions of dollars in GMV every month. That's the value of all the stuff going back and forth. And they're about to hit 100 million downloads. And we've been waiting to have them on the pod. It's been a hugely successful company in a space that everybody thought could not be innovated on. Welcome to the program, Nick Huzar. Huzar. Nice. Yes. H-U-Z-A-R, <laughs> but it's Huzar, just so everybody pronounces it correct, right? That's right. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, and you're uh, home in quarantine. You got the nice OfferUp pillow on your uh, chair over there. I like the placement. By the way, the that. chair is from OfferUp. The lamp is from OfferUp. And that ugly painting is also from OfferUp. So. I was going to say, do you have a, a, a vendor you could lean me towards to get ugly paintings? And uh, I'll just, I guess that, that's tagged on OfferUp. I was going to say, my wife hates this painting. That's why it's in there. I happen to of like course. it. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um Trolling your wife, one of the great joys in life. That's why I, yes. like, I had a quarantine beard for about 15 days and my wife was not pleased. <laughs> I had to shave it. Uh, but let's start with that. How are you holding up under quarantine? Uh, I'm assuming that you went into quarantine in the beginning of March, like most of us, and you've been home for 100 days or more. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know where you're based, but where are you based and, and how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing fairly well. I mean, we're based in kind of Bellevue, Washington. I live kind of on a mountain, so I can get out and go roam around the woods if I want to. So fantastic, um, pretty good when it comes to social distancing. I think the challenge, like uh, a lot of parents out there, are how, how do you adapt when you've got two little kids at home? My 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 daughter just turned mm -hmm. nine, and my son's six. So um, you know, it's been challenging. There's one neighborhood family that that they play with. They're, we're both kind of had an agreement that we're both kind of quarantining. So that's that's about the extent of our social interactions. I've only seen one of my friends uh, the whole wow. time during COVID, which is challenging. So I think that's the hard part is a social interaction, but um, I enjoy spending more time with the family, which is nice. That has been an upside. And um, do you think you'll be changing your quarantine in, over the summer? You think you're going to loosen it up a little bit? I know it's a very personal question. We are loosening up a little bit, seeing a couple of different, like you said, we have like two or three families that we're now, you know, kind of in agreement that we have a close social circle. What, what are your thoughts on, because uh, didn't Seattle and, and Washington get hit early and then yeah. you guys got through it super quick? Yeah, uh, but I think, you know, I think one of the challenges, you know, I mean, it's great to be an American. Like we don't like people telling us what to do. So, Ugh, uh, so, so this, there's a lot of lack of consistency, which means, um, you know, I had a board member tell me this this morning. It's kind of like uh, a pool in an earthquake. You know, it's just kind of up and down, up and down all over the place with no kind of. And I think that's kind of the challenge that we have with this. So, yeah, I think personally, we'll probably loosen up a little bit, but we're being very, very cautious. And we're, I think, over communicating with friends just to make sure everyone's clear of what's happening. But I think in other places, clearly, they're not doing that. Like there's a lot of places like, oh, I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't need to wear a mask. And I think that's it's a little challenging. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. the mask costs nothing and it saves every and we could totally be through this by now if everybody had complied with masks so literally the last hundred days of people like us being in hardcore quarantine is now being extended and ruined by p 
people just not being willing to wear a mask. You look at Korea, you look at Japan, they have under a thousand deaths each. They've totally got it beat and they're back to life. And I, it, it seems to me like what we're going to have to do in America is we're actually going to have to go through this three or four times to get it through our thick skulls because we're so intent on freedom and not being told what to do. We have nobody, the, the government is not just giving us a clear answer. I mean, you know, leadership having run two companies and I was uh, giving you a little goof there about your first social network, but because uh, <laughs> you're so successful now, I can do that. But you, you know, you you've learned what leadership is in your estimation as you've grown as a leader, and uh, obviously you're tre- tremendously successful in this one. What do you think leadership really is at its core, uh, especially in a crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we did, I think, well, and, and it's not just me, but I think my my leadership team in this is we took it seriously. Um, early and we laid out, I just kind of, we got alignment on, okay, through a series of uh, circumstances, what are the actions we would take? And, you know, we had everything from, okay, maybe we just, um, you know, start to ultimately, we said when schools close, we're just closing the office. That was like phase three. Well, we quickly went from phase one to phase three. So I think yep. one of the things I hopefully have learned over the years is I think part of your job as a leader is to build uh, alignment and take, you know, be, be able to extrapolate what's happening today and say, okay, make sure people understand kind of where things are going and overly communicating. And mm-hmm. one of the things I've learned from remote working so far is communication. My team has never felt more connected across the company. And we've been surveying and doing roundtables. And I thought that was shocking because you think like, oh, well, you're in the office. You go in the office to be connected. Yeah. And then we found that, well, it's probably because we've over-indexed on how we communicate with the team. And, Unpack that for me. What's yeah. what's working in terms of Slack, Zoom, modern day communication from a company that wasn't work from home and now is, I assume, 100% work from home? Yeah, yeah, we are 100%. So, I mean, I think the things that we've learned is we just increased the, the velocity and the frequency in which we communicate. An example would be we used to do monthly all hands. Now we do every other, every week all hands. And uh, it used to be a bigger production. We were on stage. It was all polished. It was longer. Now it's much smaller, a lot more casual and more frequent. So people have a better pulse and we do it on a Friday. So we're ending the week and they, okay, I understand kind of the rhythm of the business. Um, I think people are um, being more conscious in how they spend their time, right? They're more, our time's more optimized. Like I go from one meeting to the next meeting. And so, you know, you're a little bit more productive and focused at home. But I think when people are engaging with others, um, it's like a lot of people are doing happy hours. I do, we do happy hours with my exec team every two weeks. I never did a happy hours with my exec team every two weeks when we were in the office. What and, happens uh, yeah. in these, I haven't been to a happy hour, but I've heard about these Zoom happy hours. This seems like completely dystopian and something I wouldn't want to do, <laughs> but people love them. What happens at a Zoom happy hour? Is there a, a process or is there like a, Something you do specifically, you have to have a specific beverage, you all drink the same thing. What happens? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I think teach their own. Not everyone's always drinking, but yeah, I, everyone's having some kind of uh, drink. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, I think it's a way to connect with people on a different level. Like we're never usually talking work, right? We don't. We just, huh. we start to talk about hobbies or what are people, what are people doing during quarantine or how are people's families mm-hmm. doing or a movie or something. So I think you're able to connect with people on a different level that, Typically, when you're in the office, you're just you're just not doing that, right? And so, right. Uh, initially, I thought it'd be a little bit awkward, uh, but I found that to be helpful. I started doing also roundtables, which I've always you know, tried to make time for, even in the office. But um, you know, I did a bunch of these as COVID happened. I said, okay, I need to do this right now. I need to make sure I'm around. What kind of questions do people have? Uh, there's a lot of change in our business, so I wanted to just be able to connect the dots and, and make sure people are understanding what's happening. So you, you were asking like how do leaders lead through crisis? I think the best thing you can do is be available, be around and, and be empathetic to uh, what people are going through. And uh, I, I tried to lead by that over the last few weeks and just making extra time to communicate with people. Yeah. I think those are really interesting insights because we took for granted when we were in an office that we had culture. Because the office provided uh, a context, a setting, right? And people talk a lot about the setting and the context mattering, uh, whether it's when people are taking mushrooms, like 
uh, in that book, uh, Change Your Mind. Like they're like the context and the, the setting actually really set and setting are like really important. And the set and setting, uh, not just in psychedelics, but in our offices, we just thought, well, that that does it, right? Like we, we're done. We have free, you know, lacrosse and it's not enough. <laughs> yeah. But I like this idea that shorter but more frequent check-ins um, are better. And I always think about my younger self. Uh, did you ever work for anybody else? Uh, uh, a few like times. I'm, I'm, I would self-admit I'm a terrible employee. So uh, yeah, same uh, but with I me. Have. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. And do you remember like feeling? Do you remember the feeling of not knowing why you were doing things or looking up to the bosses and being like, "What are they talking about in that room?" Sure. You had that experience, and like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I try to carry that with me now because, you know, you get some young people working in your organization. They, they're just mind wanders, just like ours did in those first jobs. What are they talking about? Are they, are things good or bad? Yeah. And when you have your mind wandering like that, it can go to weird places. I don't know if you've ever had people tell you yeah. what they thought you were thinking as a leader and it's like, oh, yeah. no, but the opposite. Yeah. And, and I think especially when COVID really hit, people, you know, I get it, or you, you freak out. And, and I wrote this long blog about some of the, the pain I've gone through in my career and the learning that I've had to go through, because I acknowledge that there's a, there's a large part of the workforce that has never gone through an economic cycle. They've all, all they know is up and to the right. And so I wrote this blog on my own story so people could really understand that, hey, this is, you know, we this too shall pass, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to be challenging as, as, you, as you go through it. Uh, so I think to your point, uh, I like to be available and not like I don't have an office when we are in the office. I, I just want to be out and about. So uh, people don't worry, you know, don't think like, hey, there's some magic happening behind the behind the door when really we want to be as transparent as we as we can be. Yeah, I, I, I do the same. I like to sit out with the group, be transparent. And I actually got that from Mike Bloomberg. When I used to do Bloomberg, I would come in at six in the morning and talk about the Internet in the 90s. And he would be at his cubicle. And he had a conference room behind him with a glass door that was always open and no shades. Uh, and he just sat out with everybody else. And he and I said, why don't you have your own office? Like, you're the CEO of Bloomberg. And he's like, if I have my own office, everybody wonders uh, what I'm talking about. And it just creates this, yeah. you know, chaos. And uh, the other thing I heard that was really interesting is somebody told me, I think it was Warren Bennis, who was on the podcast early on, the, you know, real thinker on leadership. Um, I have to pull that episode because he passed away. But Warren Bennis said, uh, I never forgot it, that leaders define reality, right? They, they let you know, like, this is the reality. And so when we get back from this, I want to know what you think the reality is of um, the third and fourth quarter of 2020 as we come out of the COVID crisis. And how are you defining reality for your business, OfferUp? And then we're going to hear all about the origin story of OfferUp in the second segment. So we'll be right back. Hey, do you have a great idea? Do you want to turn it into a beautiful website? This way, you can reach out to your customers and partners and basically change the world. Well, I just was thinking the other day, wow, you know, we're doing so much remote now and there's all these demo days that can't occur in person. What if we had a remote demo day? And I checked to see if the domain was available and remotedemoday.com was available. And then I said, hey, let's put up a Squarespace site. And my team rallied in a couple of hours we wrote all the copy, we got a video made, and we had a beautiful website up and running at remotedemoday.com. This is what you can do with Squarespace. You can basically come up with an idea and start building your website, whether you want to blog or publish content, maybe you want to sell a product or you have a service, maybe you want to promote a physical or online business, or maybe you want to announce an event or a special project like I did with Remote Demo Day. Well, Squarespace is the answer because you build it once and it's beautiful and it's customizable and it's so powerful with this e-commerce functionality built in and analytics built in and you can choose between over 200 extensions. You'll get great analytics, search engine optimization, free and secure hosting and 24-7 award-winning customer support and it's all optimized for mobile. That's what you get when you use Squarespace. They do have that 24-7 award-winning customer support waiting for you. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code TWIST and you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, thanks again to Squarespace for supporting the podcast for years and for making amazing, amazing software and amazing platform and having just 
and that incredible wherewithal to just release feature after feature. Great job over there at Squarespace. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back, everybody. I got the founder of OfferUp with us today, and we're talking about leadership in the time of coronavirus. And we're going to get into the story of OfferUp, which if you haven't downloaded your really, where have you been? 100 million people have downloaded this thing, and you only operate in the U.S., right, Nick? Yep, 100%. Right. So that's a tremendous number if you're just in the U.S. I always see you in the top five or 10 in the commerce section. So you're up there with all the the, the major uh, companies, Amazon, eBay, et cetera. And uh, I'm curious what, before we get into uh, the story of OfferUp and what you do, just looking at the second half of the year as a founder, <clears throat> what was the what was March through June been like? Has the business collapsed? Has it gone up? Because in my portfolio, I've had some businesses revenue go to zero, and then I had others triple their revenue during coronavirus. And I'm thinking out loud here. Hmm. So people have more time on their hands, so they do more shopping for sure. But you have to change. You have to exchange something in person, or maybe ship something. So maybe that could be a drag on the business. And so I got. I'm going to go ahead and say I think there are categories that exploded. People needed certain things that aren't available, like bicycles um, that were sold out. But I do think that the coronavirus must have been a headwind in some ways. So I'm going to think that you were net neutral during coronavirus. Am I right? Uh, no, w- way up. Way up, but Way you up. are you're 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 right. Certain categories are just not as engaged upon, uh, like fashion, non-essentials. Uh, but you are spot on on bikes. Try to find a bike right now. I tell anyone it's a seller's market. You're selling a bike, mark it up. I never tell people to mark things up, but you right. can't get a bike right now. Uh, Amazing, right? What other any other categories? Yeah, that I are mean, look, uh, puzzles up a thousand percent. It's the number one thing that's blowing up is puzzles. Interesting. Uh, I have been doing puzzles with my four-year-olds the last uh, week or two, and uh, they can do them so quickly now. I think that they, they I might have like uh, gifted kids on my hands, either that or they've done the same ones. Board games, I suspect. Board games. I, I think you, you can. The way I Rubik's put it, cube. <laughs> yeah, put put it in various buckets. What do people need that's hard to get right now? You can't go into a gym. So fitness equipment, like through the oh, roof. Weights, kettlebells. Kettlebells, weights, you name it. Like anything fitness is, is sky high. Things to keep your kids occupied, especially for parents that are struggling. And you know, clearly there's a lot of financial stress or just stress of, you know, working. and uh, Firecrackers, knives, all those good yeah, stuff. Yeah, we don't sell those things. Yeah, we don't sell those <laughs> things. I can tell you the searches are up, but we don't encourage people selling those on our marketplace. Yeah. But, um, you know, we'd say about three times increase in people buying video games. The number one thing people are searching for is the Nintendo Switch. Everyone wants one of those right now. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, toys and games, things to keep kids occupied and fitness. Those are really- I'm super growing. worried about- kids i have kids too i think you said you had a nine-year-old i have a 10-year-old and then i have identical twins who are four and i think you said you had a four-year-old too uh six six so you're right in the thick of it i mean they need constant attention or an ipad or a movie um and i am just the amount of screen time i'm getting a little worried about um but uh are you worried about that as well with the kids yeah well in our case my kids are outside in the trampoline which we bought on offer up by the way uh, but they're out, yeah, so they're out there uh, for a few. I mean, the weather is nice, so they're out there for four or five hours a day this time of year, which is great. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. So we do give our kids a little bit of screen time, but it's usually like end of the day. They, they, yeah. During the day, we try to really limit that to them. Get out of the um, house. Yeah. If they're on their laptops, it's usually learning, right? They're not really watching YouTube or anything. But you know, I we're fortunate. My wife doesn't work, and I can walk around sometimes during the day. But you know, if you're if you have two parents working at home, I empathize with that. That's that's a challenge. Yeah, so. that is the thing I'm seeing is really breaking people. And, and I, we need to have some compassion for people who, you know, you got either you're a single parent uh, and you can really appreciate what single parents go through uh, now when you have your kids home from school and then two parent homes where both people work. What do you see going forward when you're talking to your management team? You had a you said you were on a board call earlier, I think, today. Mm-hmm. What are what is the board call like uh, looking forward? And are you thinking this is an opportunity for us to hire people because so many people have been laid off? Uh, is this an opportunity for us to invest in marketing because marketing's cheaper? Or do you, are you thinking, my goodness, people have 20%, we, we get 20% unemployment in this country. We're going to have a problem with buyers. Or is that counter for your company because 
people are like, you know what? I got laid off. Now I'm going to sell everything, get a little extra cash, and I have the time to clear out the garage. Tell me what you think of your business offer up going forward. Yeah, I think it's all the same. And I think, in, unfortunately, for the macro climate, there's a lot of challenges. And so I, I feel for people that are, you know, lost their job or they're really having a hard time making ends meet. Um, but offer up was always built on community. It was always built to help, you know, connect people to prosper uh, locally. And so um, I'm not shocked that by this uptick and in, in what we're seeing in, in, in engagement. Um, because we are kind of that local marketplace. And if someone needs something, they can get it like right away. They don't have to wait, um, you know, for something to be delivered to them. So that's the, the positive in terms of, you know, people looking for supply. And if you're selling something, I think, like you said, people have more time. They're clearing out their garages more and they want to make room for, you know, maybe it's a home gym or whatever it is. Um, people are definitely doing that. So. I think this COVID experience is definitely a, a large tailwind for us. I, I expect this to continue based on the numbers I've seen and uh, for a while, all the way through the end of the year. Um, so I think if anything, you, you're going to see more from us to help, you know, to unlock more supply. We're very con- supply constrained, not just offer up, but just the country. Like, I don't know if you've yeah. gone shopping recently, but try to buy some yeast or try to buy some flour. Uh, um, Ice cream machine sold out till next year. I got you know, my ice cream machine last year, uh, and that is, let me tell you something, if you've got kids making ice cream, they are really interested because you get <laughs> yeah. to eat the ice cream, yeah, and yeah. you get to take whatever you want, and in the last phase of ice cream, throw it in there. What are you thinking about uh, staffing and work from home? You were, yeah. uh, how many employees ballpark do you have? Uh, 310. 310. And every, I'm assuming most people were in an office somewhere or multiple offices? Yep. Yeah, most people are in an office somewhere. Um, but I think that your, your question is a good one. So, you know, we through, I think, roundtables and connecting with people, and we've done a number of surveys, you know, we want to understand, like, just people's mental health and what, what are the pros and cons of this environment. And I think I was always hesitant to really embrace remote work in the past because I worried that productivity won't go down. I worried that, you know, people wouldn't be communicating as well. And what I've actually seen is the opposite. Productivity Mm. is up. People are communicating better. Um, What do you attribute that to? Uh, I think that, uh, like I said before, in the communication, I think that um, people are just more conscious and trying to be very intentional and making these times for people to connect not only just on work, but also even more socially. You know, it's it's low, It's easier to find an hour on Zoom than it is to, to coordinate everyone to go out for drinks sometimes, depending on where you live. Uh, so that's that's part of it. And then in the productivity, like, you know, well, heck, just eliminate the commute. Right there, you've got some time back in your day. Yeah, somewhere um, between 90 minutes and three hours, depending on the commute. Yeah. And it feels like there's some un... Uh, there's some contract that's occurring without anybody discussing it that uh people are working a little bit more but they're also not having to commute and they have less pain and suffering of that commute in time so i think what people are doing is they may be getting to work a little bit earlier and staying a little bit later but they still net out getting some of that benefit that's what i think is happening yeah, I, I, I probably agree with that. And the other thing I think is time is your time is just more optimized in the day where, you know, if I'm in the office, well, my role is a little different. I'm far more productive at home. Uh, there's less distractions. But if I'm just, you know, working in the office, you know, you might have a little bit of a time between meetings or you have a half hour. And so you go and talk to a friend and grab a coffee. You, know, you just have all these. If you add up all those other distractions, um, they're all kind of gone now. So I think there's pros and cons to that. I think there's yeah. there's healthy aspects of clearly meeting face to face. So you were asking, you know, where do we end up? Here, here's my. If you had to ask me today, here's where I think this ends up. So first of all, we communicated to our team that they have the option to work remote the rest of the year. Um, and okay, that's we want- a no brainer because people are scared, and you're giving them the option, right? Yeah. And we, we just, and again, back to kind of leadership and setting the expectation. We didn't want to send mixed messages. We wanted to say, look, have this in your mind. So if you need to make an investment in your house and your setup, if you need to get us, you know, an office chair or something, come by the office and we'll just, you know, we let people take any equipment they wanted out of the office, their desk, whatever, just take it. Um, <laughs> That's great. And we said, whatever you need to be productive, go. Um, and if we decide to open the office, um, we may do that before the end of the year, but I wanted to set the expectation with the team that it's not the office that you went back to. Like we're not going to be sitting the same. It's not going to, there's a lot of things that will be very different because of COVID. 
Um, so, you know, where I think this lands is in my mind is can you create a hybrid that, that kind of is the best of both worlds where I, I don't, I don't, I think we would struggle if we didn't in, like, I think we need to embrace remote work moving forward and just become a remote work company. And that means you can be in the office. You can't, you, you could if you wanted to, but I don't think you can do half. I don't think you can say half your team's in the office, half's remote. So, um, hmm. what I do think this lands in my, in my mind is maybe it's two, four hour chunks in a week that you come into the office and you use that time for what I think people are missing right now. You, you have uh, department meetings, you do a whiteboard session, you do a one on one. Um, you know, you do those things to connect face to face. Um, and maybe if you're, you know, you don't have the right setup at home. I, I talked to an engineer, by the way. He has two other roommates in a 500 square foot condo and he's coding on his dresser. Like he needs to get out of yeah, it. Right? Not so, gonna <laughs> yeah, not going to work. Gonna work. So maybe the desks now become satellite desks, right? Anyone can sit anywhere that they want. And, and yeah. so that's where I'd like to try to land an experiment and see that, hey, can, can we create a system where the office is just a shell? We can reimagine how we use it. And maybe not everyone ever comes in exactly all at the same time. Your landlord just had a heart attack. I just apologize. Well, I'm sure a lot of commercial. I'm sure a lot of commercial people are having heart attacks. I mean, right it's now, yeah. it's got to be uh, just brutal to talk to your operations and facility team because the, any office has one or two people per hundred, two hundred people managing the facility, and now the facility is going to be smaller. So those jobs are at risk. Those people have to get redeployed somewhere. And then if you just think about what you're spending on those leases, you know, it's probably $500 a person per month, a thousand, maybe a thousand dollars per person per month, all in with the, with the space. So a company of your scale, if I were to guess, would be spending 3 million a year on facilities. And now you go like, okay, well, there's 30 more employees or people get raises. When we get back to this quick break, I want to ask you a very difficult question, which is uh, two difficult questions. Number one, should people get paid different amounts based on where they live, which is Zuckerberg's uh, promise to employees. If you leave the Bay Area, we paid you a premium to be here, but if you want to go live in the woods, we're going to take 20, 30 grand off your salary based on where you live. So should that be the, how do you manage that? Um, and then the second one is, can a company be built to scale like Facebook, Uber, or your own offer up without everybody being in a central location grinding when we get back on This Week in Startups? With SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes, you can simply print postage stamps and shipping labels even when you're working remotely. For as low as $4.99 a month, you'll get access to special discounts and save up to 40% off USPS Priority Mail. And if you don't know what Priority Mail is, it's amazing. It's such a deal. Plus, for being a This Week in Startups listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free 10-pound scale to ensure that you never overpay. Some SendPro Online benefits include printing shipping labels and stamps, even when you're working remotely, scheduling package pickups and tracking shipments from departure to arrival, and save up to $0.05 cents on every letter and up to 40% off USPS Priority Mail. Starting at $4.99, you can calculate the exact postage online and print from your PC, avoid trips to the post office. All of this is going to save you a lot of time and a lot of money. So here's your call to action. Go to pb.com slash twist to access a special offer for a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T, to experience huge savings in your shipping costs and a free trial of SendPro online from Pitney Bowes. Thanks again to Pitney Bowes for supporting the pod. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. The founder of OfferUp is with us, Nick Huzar. Emphasis on the Z, <laughs> uh, not Huzar, but you can follow him on uh, Twitter, N-I-C-K-H-U-Z-A-R. If you haven't downloaded OfferUp, pause. If you're listening to us on Spotify or I podcasts on iTunes, and go download the app, and you will be amazed uh, at how quickly your garage gets cleared. The liquidity on OfferUp is unbelievable because uh, my team uses it to get rid of our old stuff, and it's just like same day. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so I gave you two hard questions, uh, and you are been at this for a while. You, you started working in Web 1.0 and through Web 2.0, and here we are in the mobile era. What do you think about Zuckerberg's announcement? Should people get paid differently or is that just a transitional thing? 
Yeah, I mean, we've thought about this too, and we're definitely embracing more, I think, um, remote work, just given how we're all working remote. Um, and I, I mean, I think that makes sense. The cost of living is very different depending on where you live. Um, so I do think that makes sense. Like part, part, of, part of your your compensation is directly correlated in my mind to, to where you're living and you need to account for that. So I, I think if we were to embrace more remote work, we clearly have to look at our comp structure and, and be adaptable based on where we're, where we're hiring. Yeah. See that, I think giving people like a year's notice or whatever it is, six months notice, Hey, if you choose to leave, which I think, you know, listen, it's really easy to criticize Zuck. Um, and, uh, cause he does a lot of things that are so cutthroat and elbow swinging. But in this case, it is actually unfair to the person who was in Nashville who got a 70K offer to then have somebody leave San Francisco at 100K and make 100K and live next door to them in Nashville and uh, drive up housing prices. You have to think about the system holistically. Yeah. Um, and uh, what do you think about the ability to build a high growth startup? There is something that happens when everybody's in that office and they're part of that SWAT team mentality, high growth startup mentality. Certainly some of that is lost if people are working from home, do you think? Um, and then does that create two classes of citizens where if you're in the office with the boss doing the whiteboard session, or you happen to get to bump into them and have an espresso in the coffee bar, you got FaceTime, and then the person who chose to go to Nashville didn't get FaceTime, and therefore they're less important. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's. I, I think if we were just starting off up in COVID, uh, it would be very hard. I think to your to your point, um, if, if especially in the early days of your first 20, 50 people, you've got to really spend a lot of time together and work together, and, and, and a lot of whiteboard sessions. Right, Let, things mm -hmm. are less figured out in the early days. I think where we are now, there's still a lot of innovation and things we want to do. But we also have a, a lot of baseline and areas and uh, that we want to iterate on. And so it's a little different. I think we can continue to scale and innovate and bring new ideas, even if we were embracing remote work. But uh, I think it would be challenging to your point if we were just starting. Um, I think that would be a little bit harder in, in this kind of setup. Um, explain to people what your central thesis was when you launched uh, offer up because people were letting go of stuff uh, and, and flipping stuff, you know, pretty efficiently on eBay and Craigslist. And it was either free on Craigslist or, you know, most people consider low cost on eBay. It didn't seem like we needed to have another app to do this. Was it that they were just had bad apps or what was your thesis of, why you could go into a place where there were just giants waiting for you. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll try to be succinct, but it's kind of a longer story. So I'll, I'll no, go for the long story. Okay. Long story. Okay. So, so here I am, as, as you acknowledged, I had another startup that I moved on from and didn't really, didn't really pan out. So, I was not you went in, through $5 million in venture and returned $0. Yeah. It was actually from angels. So I like to say I spent most of my time raising money, not building a company. It was, it was. Oh, no. really? 50K yeah. checks at a time? Oh, yeah. It was like 56. Uh, that 5 million came from like 56 angels. And you had to email and call them and let uh, them know you lost their money. Uh, Brutal. Yeah. Well, not me, my co founder, but yeah. Co founder yeah. did that one. Yeah. He oh, had to take so that, brutal, that arrow in the face. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's literally like an arrow to the face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's never Did any fun. of those angels like lose their cool and were jerks about it? Or were they all Not just that I'm like, aware yeah. of. Not that cool. I'm aware of. I think they knew what they were signing up I for. I have to train new people on this, especially syndicate investors, because I've seen syndicate investors get all bent, you know, people on an Angelist syndicate or, you know, Seed Invest or mine, the syndicate, like .com, they will get freaked out. And I'm like, okay, how much did you invest? They're like, 4K. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think your rage in this failure needs to be proportional yeah. to the amount you lost. You maybe, lost a business class ticket to Maui. Yeah, you, you, maybe you're in the wrong wrong business if you're freaking wrong out business about. for yeah. sure. Um, uh, but okay, keep going. Yeah. So, so my plan was not to go do another startup at all. Um, but my wife and I had moved into a decent sized house, and you know, most people have like a junk. I don't know about you. I have a junk drawer in my house. Everyone's got one of those. I one had a junk drawer. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. A drunk dresser. <laughs> I had a junk room. Okay, so I just threw all this uh -huh. stuff in this room. And then, you know, my wife and I wanted to have kids. And so 
you know, at one point she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm like so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going into dad mode. And I go open yeah. that door, door one day and that was the spark. I'm standing there in the door. I'm looking at thousands of dollars worth of stuff, not junk, just stuff I wasn't using. And I'm like, kill me. Just to post yeah. this online is going to take me all weekend just to post it. Right. And, and now you think about the opportunity cost. Yeah, I'm going to make a thousand and I'm going to lose 2000 not going to work that week. That's right. So I go just to make these things discoverable. Yeah, this is going to be hard. And then I closed the door and I was just like, I'm not going to deal with it. Right. So then I kept thinking about this problem and I'm looking at my first smartphone, which was the second gen iPhone. There's no Android at this point in time when I'm coming up with this idea. And I, like you had just said, I'm like, oh, everyone uses the classic desktop solutions. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is kind of crazy. How many people have tried to compete in this space is just foolish. And so I'm out interviewing. Because here I am, my wife is working. I have no income. I just quit my last job, so I have no income, and my and I have a daughter on the way. So, uh, so I'm like, I don't want to be a deadbeat dad. I have to go get a job. So I'm out there interviewing, and so months is going by, and I keep going, you know, and I keep just unpacking this problem that I started to have a feeling that I had a feeling like I wasn't alone. I had a feeling that there was a lot of people out there that weren't using desktop solutions because it wasn't worth their time, and. What I started to uncover was that that I, I kept going back to this idea that value is locked up and, you know, it's in our homes, it's in businesses, it's in storage units, it's in retail. And I kept thinking, like, well, why is it all locked up? And my conclusion was we all make time value decisions. And that's a reason that certain things go in the trash, certain things go to Goodwill and maybe some things like a golf clubs, you know, they just go into your garage and they just sit there. Um, and so I started unpacking all these stats that I thought were fascinating. A good example would be 25% of U.S. households with a two-car garage cannot park in their garage. Oh, God, do I know it. Yeah. 25%. So that's that's thousands of dollars sitting there, not going anywhere, right? And then you look at our homes. Our homes are actually 30% larger than the 1950s, but we're actually having less children. We're putting more things just in our houses, and they're just sitting there. Um you know, if you look at storage, like the fastest growing area in real estate is actually storage. It's not residential. Yeah. It's not commercial. And, uh, you know, 10% of the U.S. population rents storage units. In fact, you can wrap a seven by seven square around every man, woman and child in this country with storage space. Um, and that's so that's just think of that as just consumers. But what about small merchants? And so, you know, when I was out here, you know, kind of collecting information, it was during the whole um the housing, the tail end of the housing crisis. And I would walk in and I'd talk to store owners and I'd say, what do you do to promote these things in your store? What do you do to promote that jacket right here? Right. And yeah. the response I would the get. window. <laughs> yeah. I just put on the window or I'm, I'm on Google or I'm on Yelp. And I go, no, no, not yeah. your store. The things the item. in your store. Right. And so, um, you know, so after my bottom line, after about four or five months of, um, of doing all of this, my conclusion was, um, while there are large players out there, I believe that the, the, the TAM is so much bigger. I believe that value is just stuck. And I believe that the smartphone enabled us to reimagine the entire buying and selling process. So for me, my spark was simply, I just wanted to take a picture and make something discoverable in 30 seconds. And the alternative was 15 minutes just to post something, right? So, hmm. but if you continue to unpack that, it's, it's the discovery part. It's the communication part. It's, you know, you add all that up and it creates a lot of friction. And so I just felt like, hey, if we can focus on simplicity, if we can focus on bringing trust to local transactions, maybe we could actually, you know, create something that was really innovative. And that was that was kind of the, the spark for OfferUp, you know, years and years ago. Okay, so the biggest challenge is obviously liquidity. Uh, the hardest thing, Bill Gurley talks about it a lot with Uber and, um, you know, he's been in uh, tons of uh, different marketplace businesses. Uh, you did a social network, so you understood a little bit about liquidity, I would suppose, certainly virality. Uh, liquidity is hard and it's probably the, I mean, the hardest place I can think of trying to get liquidity would be in a garage sale, <laughs> like an online eBay. So uh, when we come back from break, I want to know your hacks for getting the flywheel going and adding liquidity to a marketplace of buyers and sellers when we come back on This Week in Startups. 
small businesses have unique needs. And despite the current uncertainty, one thing remains unchanged, and that is the importance of having the right person on your team. You need to have great people to make great products and services that delight customers. And when your business is ready to make that next hire, and I know a lot of you are getting ready to ramp up hiring now as we get into the fall, well, LinkedIn Jobs can help you by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. They're about to break 700 million. Well, LinkedIn Jobs scans candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, and they put your job in front of the most qualified members every day. So it gets seen by people who are passive job searchers and active. And that's how LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire the right person so much faster. We've had great success in filling roles at our companies, including Takeoffs.io, which is an AI-enabled building materials marketplace. They were looking for an AI engineer to lead their team, but it's a very, very nuanced and hard position to fill while they found the perfect candidate who was a PhD in computer vision. So here's your call to action. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. That's right. Just visit linkedin.com slash twist. Again, that's linkedin.com slash twist to get fitty. $50 off your first job posting. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you 50 bucks. Thanks again to LinkedIn Jobs for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Hoping you, your family, and everybody is safe during this incredibly trying time. I, myself, am losing my goddamn mind in quarantine. I am not built for this. It's 100 days, and gosh, I, I can't wait to take all of you out for some dim sum and get some ramen and get back to Tokyo and New York and my friends in Sweden. God, I can't take this for much longer. Um, my guest today, Nick Huzar, is uh, the co-founder and CEO of OfferUp. He's been doing that since 2011. Candidly, a great time to start a business, not dissimilar to this exact moment. So if you're a founder out there and you're wondering, oh my God, the market has crashed and well, actually the market rebounded, but you know, there's a, this is a troubled market. Uh, you shouldn't start a company. Wrong. Best time is when everybody else is not vying for the same employees, advertising space and dollars. Start a company now. And if you do make a great company and you get the product launch, email your boy, Jason at Calacanis.com. And, um, yeah, if you get to like five, ten k a month in revenue or five, ten thousand users a day, I might just ship you a hundred k. Be part of our launch accelerator. Uh, you've raised over three hundred million. About to hit that hundred million downloads. Congratulations! Twenty million monthly users, which is extraordinary since you're in the U.S. and the U.S. population is three hundred thirty million. The adult population is yeah, like uh, seventy, eighty million kids. So you've got. M- 10% of adults using this every goddamn month. Is that right, Nick? Am I math, math right? Uh, maybe overall. What's more exciting is we have huge markets like LA where you're, we're almost at 20% of the adult population using wow. every month. Yeah. And it seems to me that there is definitely there are definitely markets that work better for peer-to-peer. And I would think those are ones... Let me think about that. Would density be better than not density? Certainly density is important, right? LA is dense. And then weather has to be a factor. If it's really cold and it's Minnesota and there's snow, I'm not getting out to go get a pair of used sneakers. So is it it. the weather and the density? Uh, Those are probably some of the biggest parts. So, um, yeah, weather definitely matters. And, and, you know, we we spent a year in Seattle before we went into any other markets. And and I could tell you, as we thought about testing and scaling, we, you know, there's a reason we didn't launch in Chicago in the middle of winter. Like you don't <laughs> want to move a couch, forget it. Um, but, but density and, and actually I would also say the ability to move, um, you know, density to a certain degree. Like New York is its own anomaly. Like you, you do not want to move to, too dense. You do not want to, and no one has the ability. One, two things. One is people don't have a lot of space. In New York. Ah. And then the other one is try to move a couch in Manhattan. Like, forget about it, right? It's just kind of ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, 
you need to have ideally a place where people can get on and off freeways quickly. People have cars like LA is a and they have enough market. room to have accumulated stuff. That's right. So in the, yeah, so we definitely have, you know we 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 you can use off ramp anywhere in the U.S. now, but definitely there's there's areas that have a lot more uh, vibrant activity just given kind of some of the attributes you need to see you, in those markets. You took an Uber like approach, and if I if I understand correctly, you went city to city, correct? Yep, city by city. So why is that important for you know somebody who wants to create a marketplace right now? And then what were the tricks to get the flywheel going? Yeah, so you're asking probably one of the most painful questions. So you know, in the first year, it was just building a My product. My specialty. <laughs> yes. Uh, year one was building a product that, quite frankly, most people wouldn't use. And so you know, I think from starting from, you know, a lot of people say marketplaces are really hard to build and they're also really hard to break down. Um, you know, I felt like we spent a year and a half trying to get the flywheel to go and it, it, it was living hell. It really was because <clears throat> we could not get the flywheel to move. And so I convinced my friends, I'd say, hey, I'll buy it for you. Like go buy something on my product or, hey, mom, post something on this app. And the hard part in the beginning was we didn't have a vibrant buyer community. So it was crickets, right? You just post things and nothing would really happen. Um, every now and then we would have just random people posting things, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything to write home about. And so, you know, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. So I used to get in the car and I would just go buy things from people. And I would never Brilliant. say I worked, I would never say I worked at OfferUp. I would just right. say, look, I'm just a buyer and I love, I would, I would clearly tout how great OfferUp was. Uh, but in the reality, we didn't have a lot of buyers. And so I would bring it back to our first office, which is maybe, 400 square feet and there was five guys and they're coding. And so imagine it, imagine a, a, a few desks and it looked like a Goodwill. There was just junk everywhere. Cause I just, <laughs> I'd, I'd show up to work the next day with a chair. Right. And, uh, so yeah. And then I would also post it again on offer up because we needed more items. Um, right. So you're basically creating velocity. Well, so you're yeah. Yeah. yeah, Velocity of transactions. Um, and then that person who actually sold something, if somebody sells something, what is the, of people who have a successful sale, what is the percentage of those people who then sell a second item? Is that like one of your key metrics? Yeah, that's, well, that's very high. Once, once you either buy something or you sell something on offer up, you're, you're, you're hooked. Like you're, you're there. You just keep, you keep going. And so I think that's, we've definitely optimized the product uh, for that first time experience. And so we definitely want to make sure that when people post something, we make sure they get a lot of exposure and are able to sell that thing, you know, very ah, quickly. So first timers, a new account, you really want them to have that first. So that is a great way to ensure that people don't go one and done. I posted, yeah. I didn't get it sold. Well, and, yeah. Yeah, and I was just gonna say like liquidity was what we built the whole company on because it was, we believe that, hey, someone is gonna come along and try to kill us, one of maybe one of the big players. And so what, one of the things we did, I think, luckily it, it's paid off so far was we were, very quiet for a number of years. Like we didn't even, even after Andreessen Horowitz invested, we didn't even do a press release. Like we said, don't even put us on your website. Uh, and what we were doing was we were growing around the country in big, big markets without anyone knowing. And some of the last markets we launched was actually New York and the Bay Area. So I used to love coming down to the Bay Area and people like, well, no, no one uses you down here. And I'd laugh because I'm like, oh man, like you should see what LA looks like. It's And so I think that was a learning that I would share for anyone else starting a company is, you don't always have to pound your test in the beginning. In fact, in our case, it was an advantage not to. Um, I think, you know, Travis from Uber has uh, added that to his process because he's yet to do an interview about Cloud Kitchens. And if he were to do one, it would be on this program for sure. It would be the first one he would do. Um, and I told him, when you're ready, you know, come on the pod, but no pressure, you know, and, you, you know, you would, you will not see anything about Cloud Kitchens. Uh, until they IPO is my prediction. And they'll just stay out of the press and put all that energy, which, you know, press is usually uh, in people's, uh, you know, top of what they want to do for their ego. If you're going to do it, you really should be doing it because there's some outcome, like it helps with fundraising or you get the New York Times logo. It helps convert people on your landing page. I wouldn't do it for ego, right? Yeah, um, I, I always tell people if you're doing press, you need to ask why, right? Is it, is it to attract capital? Is it to attract... Um, consumers, but for us, we never thought that press was a needle mover uh, for consumers. Um, so the other, I mean, the other issue is the press is so 
distinctly anti-capitalism and so distinctly anti-tech these days for whatever reasons, you know, whether we've earned it or it's just the nature of where we're at as a country in terms of embracing, you know, socialism or, you know, just not being able to understand wealth disparity and, and resolve that problem. It just, I tell, I tell founders now, don't talk to the press. There's no good that's going to, the, the chances of something good coming out of it are so low that take that energy and put it into acquiring customers um, or writing your own content and developing your own content strategy. Do you guys do anything in terms of content marketing or what marketing do you do? Yeah. What works for you guys at this point? You know, for the most part, I mean, a lot of our growth is just word of mouth. So we, we've really put a lot into the product to make it work because if people are finding value, then they tell their friends. And most of the time when I run into people, like, how'd you hear about OfferUp? It was usually, oh, my friend told me or my mom uses it. And so, um, you know, I think that if you build an amazing product that people like, um, you know, that's, that's definitely going to yield better results versus just, you know, continuing to spend large, large dollars. So that's that that said it's not like we haven't spent dollars in marketing you name it we've definitely invested in um, a number of marketing channels over the years um but you know i think today a lot of the work we do is yeah we just do more i think internal marketing um uh, but we don't spend a lot, you know, if you look at overall PNL, marketing is a pretty, pretty small line item these days. We actually spend more, we spend more at AWS than we do in marketing. Uh, and speaking of AWS and Amazon, I would think Amazon's um, ascension and their ability to get me stuff so easily becomes the reason a driver of why OfferUp exists because people can buy stuff so quickly and cheaply that it actually provides the supply for you. How do you look at Amazon as a company? Are they doing anything in reselling yet? Did they buy any companies? Not in their wheelhouse, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, Amazon, amazing company. Like just, I have so much respect for them, especially being in Seattle and learning about their DNA and their ability to innovate at, at scale. Like it's, 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 it's really mind blowing. And I think, you know, they're world class at logistics and really, you know, I think this hub and smoke model and continuing to refine that process and make it faster. Like it's I think they're really, really good at doing that. So um, I think that's their advantage uh, as offer up. We touch nothing and we don't want to touch inventory. So I think there's 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 a different way to um, help move supply around. And, you know, the thing I still like to remind people of is. Like 85% of commerce is still not online today. Like it's, it's, it's Crazy. still like, yeah, and people in tech, like, oh, it's, you know, there's all these online players and that's true. But I think the world is changing over the next few years. And I think there's a huge opportunity to unlock local supply. And that's where, you know, that's where we come in. And, you know, my vision to start was just to be clear, not, we never set out to build a classified business. We set out to unlock value locally. And the way we could do that, though, is we had a very kind of, systematic approach was, well, how do we get into people's pockets? And so that's where we said, well, what if we focused on C2C first? Everyone has a need to get things and get rid of things. Maybe if we can get that, you know, if we can get that flywheel moving, then over time we could layer in other businesses on, on top of it. Uh, I notice you have ads in the feed. Like, so you can click and go to Bing for a product or Foot Locker. What's the theory there. And I know you, you like small local business, but I notice you're uh, having basically ads in there as well. Is it just a, an additional revenue stream for you or? Yeah. I mean, I think when we put that in, I think it served two purposes. One is it's high margin business. Um, and, uh, you know, it generates revenue. Um, ultimately paid by click or transaction, or it's just a straight up ad by CPM. Yeah, uh, it, it depends on the provider, but yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's, yeah, but I, but I would say is ultimately we want to have all those experiences be far more native in the, in the product, but it was, it was easy to throw in and it, and it, and it kicked off cash. So we, so we did it. Um, but I wouldn't say it's super strategic long term. I think long term, mm -hmm. there's other ways you could do that native into the experience. And I was super hesitant of doing it. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't want to throw ads and it's going to ruin the experience. Um, and surprisingly, what we saw was really no degrade, you know, degradation in the numbers. Um, and what we heard from people was actually the opposite. We heard people saying, it's great because now I see what retail for that bike is and I see the same bike on OfferUp. I, I realize the deal I'm getting or I couldn't find that item on OfferUp. And so I just clicked through and I ended up buying it from an online retailer. So it actually became a, a net positive 
um, in the end when we introduce those. I mean, if you just do a search for espresso, which I just did while we're talking, espresso machine, it's kind of nice to see how much Best Buy and Bed Bath & Beyond are charging next to the same units available used. So it's kind of more of a, if you thought of it as a feature, you would be saying, here's what it cost at retail next to it. Yeah. Uh, which would be an interesting thing to do on top of it. Um, how, how do you deal with uh, fraud in a marketplace and that kind of stuff? I mean, I know you guys uh, charge what, like 8% or something uh, uh, for sh- to yeah. the seller. Yep. Is that for, about right? For shipping, it's now 12.9%. Uh, but definitely, oh. um, yeah, fraud is, is an ongoing, never ending thing for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've invested a lot in trust and safety uh, over the years and really tried to build reputation into the product that we're building. So that's been an area where we, you know, we do ask people, um, you know, to give us a little bit more information, you know, if they want to engage in transactions, especially where money is exchanging hands. So that's, that's something we definitely put a lot that's more That's super into. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. How so do we, you mitigate yeah. against that? So we're going to meet and I'm going to sell my laptop for 500 bucks in cash that's ripe with danger. What's the best practice there? Yeah, I mean, the thing I would remind people of is, you know, um, the vast, vast, vast majority of transactions are all really positive and great. Like it pretty much rounds to zero. When you look at all the millions of monthly transactions and the ones that actually will have some kind of incident, it's very, very rare. And So people are good overall. Yeah, I mean, I've done- You, of course, get blamed for this if it does happen. Yeah. So you have to really think it through. So how do you think about it? Yeah. And and this was something that we cared about even before we raised our, our, our venture round. We actually built a trust and safety feature called True You. Um, and I think we were probably the first app company to do actually ID scanning from a smartphone. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of other companies now do it, but we did this really early on. And we knew, by the way, at the time that no one's really going to do that. Like, who is offer up? Why am I going to put my ID in this company I don't know about? But we said, look, we want to stand behind trust. So let's, let's build a program where if you are a true you member, you get like the special badge. And it was a two step process where you scan a government ID. Part two is you take a selfie, and we actually did some image recognition to see if it's oh, a match. So and you're brilliant! A badge. Yeah, so so, that, so we built that. Um, we have uh, over three thousand community meetup spots now in the product. These are in uh, retail locations, police station parking lots, and we just started proactively creating these signs and giving them out to people. Um, and now, if you're chatting back and forth between a buyer and seller, we recommend these meetup locations for people to meet. And the requirement is it has to be well lit. It has to have a camera. And so now we can recommend those. Um, you know, people have profiles on OfferUp, like not really an amazing uh, uh, innovation, but compared to the alternative on the desktop, there was no profile. And so mm-hmm. just, you know, now I can understand who I'm dealing with. Are they showing up to- on time? Do they have ratings? So, all, so our goal is to really equip our users with as many different ways they can to make an informed decision. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of time and we're very proactive with law enforcement too. We, um, you know, we actually will go out and train different, like we sat down with the head of the LAPD and said, okay, here's how you work with OfferUp. Um, if there are incidences or things you use, like here's how we can, you know, best kind of solve some of these things. So, yeah, and it, we, you know, the great you know, thing about it being an app is that, you know, an, an, an app is more, uh, traceable, let's say, um, because, you have to install it and you have to log in and IP addresses, location, like these things can be forced to be turned on. I actually had one of the major, I think I could tell this story because it's well over 10 years. Anyway, back in the old days, I knew one of the CEOs of one of the major marketplaces and there was an issue because people were selling, putting laptops for sale. And it was like, wow, I can get this for $800, a brand new laptop that would normally be 1500. They show up with $800. Person would mug them and take their money. And the the person who was the CEO knew I know cops in New York and I was from New York at the time and I put him in touch with the detectives and uh, they caught them same day or next day. Basically, they explained the situation. It was so easy to catch them because they're so traceable that the cops just came with 800 bucks. Guys, give me your 800 bucks and they just booked them. Book them. Instantly done. Yeah. Um, so, so we spent a lot on this over the years. Again, like like I said, I built the company on simplicity and trust. 
And so yeah. that, that, that really matters. And I mean, the other great part of being an app based company, you know, before the smartphone, when you would do a tra- local transaction, you were either giving out your phone number or your email to people. Oh, and, and, and so the great thing I'd offer up is you never have to give out anything. Just, just communicate within the app. You're chatting all the way to the transaction. And you don't have to give out those those personal uh, bits of information. So, all right. So you have billions of dollars going through every month. You make eight percent or so. You get the three percent credit card. Suffice it to say, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, the IPO market is back in a major way. How do you think about the company in terms of long term? Is this something you're thinking you're going to IPO or do a SPAC or something direct listing? Yeah, so I think you know we, when we think about, I think the opportunities ahead. Um, you know, I think I, I think we're still very early days of where we can go with this marketplace we're building. So, you know, I I would love go to, go love to go the distance as a as a public company and, and do. I mean, that. it is the um, best so. thing as an entrepreneur, right, to go to the distance and be a standalone company. Yeah, I just feel like I don't think every and you've probably see, you've definitely seen this far more than me, but I think some companies can continue to layer new businesses on top of something and continue to build. And for me, I like the Legos, like I love the building, uh, but I don't think every company's like that. I think certain companies just kind of have a shelf life and it's like, okay, where do you keep going on this XYZ yep. product? And that's kind of it. Uh, so I'll be you happy. You don't have that plan. problem. I mean, offer no. up, you have intern, you haven't even gone international yet. And if you went public on our markets here, you could buy all the people who have copied you uh, and just do a group on and, you know, other folks did and Uber did and just buying up all the people who copied you and, and creating the mega. Yeah, I, I tend to look at it as layers, right? And I think yeah. we're still in a, we're still in like one of the first few layers, but uh, I think there's many more ahead. And so uh, I'd be happy as a clam. I could do this the rest of my life as long as we continue to have fun and, and, and layer, layer new things onto the marketplace. And you did make one big acquisition or merger. I don't know how you would qualify the let go. Um, DL is that a merger acquisition? I guess yeah, it could be one and the same. I guess, but yeah, so that that actually is still in process. We haven't even fully oh. real, realized that. Like, we have not even tried to uh, um, really bring our marketplaces together yet. We've mostly been in the middle of the, uh, the all the all the paperwork to get the deal done. Uh, and so now we're. I think that that you're asking about kind of growth and you know, other companies too. I, I think that right there will be the biggest accelerator for growth for the company, given the size of our marketplace and, um, you know, their marketplace as well. So that is, the paint is still wet on that trans- uh, transaction. Uh, and that was OLX did the uh, investment in this last round. You closed in March. So you yep. closed your round right before, um, you closed your round uh, right before Corona hit. And the shelter in place. Well, it was uh, actually I was in place when we announced that we were closing. So it happened right in the middle of uh, the chaos. Yes. (laughs) Was that shaky? You think the deal almost came apart or everybody was pretty set? Uh, I think we were pretty had our mindset, but still, you never know. And then on top of that, I got really sick. In fact, I thought I had coronavirus. I'd lost 12 pounds (gasps) in the middle of all this. So my, my head wasn't there. I was sleeping in the guest room. Did I you get barely, tested? Do you think you had it? I, I, I went and got the antibody body test uh, three weeks ago. Nothing. My, my wife swore that I had it and I had, you had I just it, had a really bad flu. Yeah. If you, did you feel like uh, you were in complete pain and like you had no energy? Because that is like yeah, the I exhaustion really, and inability to walk yeah. short distances seems to be the big tell. I just felt like... Uh, like a really bad cold, very stuffy. I just, I just slept with a humidifier just blasting my face. Yeah. Uh, but I had it for at least uh, probably five weeks. I was sick for probably five weeks. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. If you have that, uh, the antibodies, because I did two antibody tests, came up negative both times, unfortunately, because I think you want to be positive and have survived it. That might actually be the yeah. better situation. Maybe it's so weird to know. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, I think it's 30 days. You might not even see them anymore. So it's kind of these tests are high, highly imperfect. Uh, well, listen, you know, I know you, you got a, uh, a lot going on right now. Uh, congratulations on the success. I, I didn't bring up the fact that people don't even know this, but a lot of your success is car sales too, right? Yeah, we estimate close to 10% of the used car market is now happening on offer up uh, every year. That's amazing. Wow. And so the so revenue we sell, we sell a lot of cars. You, I mean, you might be one of the highest revenue per employee companies uh, 
going right now. I always think about that 310 people. And if you're getting 8% of a couple billion dollars a month, it could be at- We don't charge seven. every transaction, just to clarify. Oh, Not everybody okay. does. Okay, all right. So, but even still, you you have hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million in revenue per employee. That's just incredible efficiency. It's what, that's why you don't want to touch the product, right? Once you start touching the product, you need many more employees. <laughs> no, we'll keep, well, we're, there's still more coming. We have a lot more to do. So I, I don't mind messing with it if it makes makes the experience better for everyone. All right. From uh, working at T-Mobile, Microsoft WebEx, doing two startups that, uh, let's face it, they didn't work out. Third time was a charm. It's the third startup, right, Nick? Yep. Third startup so far. Knock on wood, this one's going extremely well and I'm enjoying yeah. it, so. And when you look, just uh, to wrap up, when you look at your career and a lot of young people listen to this podcast for inspiration and lessons, what what do you think the leak in your game was early on? And what do you think the strength that you've, you've now developed, uh, you know, 25 years into a career is? Um, you know, I think a lot of people say this, but I've always believed that there is no quitting and no stopping. So, um, mm. I believe in the, I call it the rhino principle. You can look at this up on how rhinos, when they want something, they're, rhinos are very good at running the straight line. They'll just take anything out. Um, yeah. I've also been chased by a rhino before, by the way. And you have really? to, really, what's that like? Uh, scary. You need a zigzag, run in a zigzag pattern because they're not very agile creatures. But if you stand straight in front of it, you know, good luck. So I don't know. I think the thing I've learned is hopefully as I make mistakes, which anyone, everyone will, that you learn from those and you just never stop and never quit. And I think there's been plenty of times for anyone that starts a company that you're looking at death's door. I mean, that was the first two years of offer up. It was, we were lucky if we had three or four months of operating capital, uh, but we didn't stop. And I think right. a lot of people tap out and they say, Oh, it's not going to work. I just, I think I've always thought long-term, I think very, very, very long in the rest of my life. And I think I say, okay. And, and when you think long, then you look at the next hurdle in front of you and it just, it doesn't seem that significant when you, when you put it in perspective. So. Took, took three or four years really to click in. Uh, I'd say for offer up, it took about two. Yeah. But we didn't raise a venture people... round. We didn't raise a venture round for two years. That's amazing. And so, you know, these, I, I see a lot of young kids starting companies and like they get to like, they're, you know, they're into year two and they're just like, oh, it's not working. I'm like, yeah, but what have you learned? Right. And yeah. you got those 10 customers and they really love it now. Can we get to 10 more of those and then make a decision if you're going to quit? People yeah. just quit too early. And you look at something like Reddit. I mean, they, they were considered like a goof compared to dig in the early days for people who don't know what dig is. They can look it up. And then they just didn't stop. Yeah, and then eventually the world caught up with them, and it just com something about compounding growth is just really powerful. Yeah, it's it's a series of mountaintops. You just go from one to the next to the next to the next, and you you have to be you have to welcome the punishment along the way. the The hurdles you just need to look at those as uh, they're not going to kill you. They might be painful, yeah. but you know if you persist, you'll overcome and you'll you keep driving forward. All right, man. Uh, thanks for doing the pod. I know you're super busy and, you, and you're not really into doing a bunch of press. So I know that you made an exception for us and I do appreciate that. Everybody uh, out there, if you haven't used OfferUp before, it's amazing and simple and elegant uh, and better than anything else that's out there. And uh, I'm sure you're hiring uh, at OfferUp now that you raised all this money. So if you're looking for a gig uh, and you want to, you know, I always tell people like you want to get on that rocket ship, uh, uh, before it gets to space, like this could be the last moment. I would say 2020 is the last chance to get on this rocket ship. Uh, next year is going to be maybe hitting the, uh, maybe you hit escape velocity. <laughs> uh, continued success and uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll see you all next time on this week's Startups. Bye bye. <laughs>